Welcome back to the Pennyworth Podcast. We're talking about episode two of season one of Pennyworth, The Landlord's Daughter on TV Podcast Industries. Brave punter. Is he stupid or clever? I can't tell. Which is it? That's a very good question. Which is it? Stupid or clever? Well, the safe money would be on stupid. But you got to back yourself, haven't you? Welcome back, Governors, to DC's Batverse. We're here talking about Pennyworth, the second episode of the first season, hopefully of many, <laughs> The Landlord's Daughter. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi there, fellow Governors. I am one of your other hosts, John. Yes, welcome back to TV Podcast Industries for the second episode of Pennyworth. Mm-hmm. The landlord's daughter. So it's a big knees up down at the old pub, um, with a bit of best bitter uh, and some pork scratchings. Exactly, exactly. You must be feeling at home in the in the world of Pennyworth, John. <laughs> not really. <laughs> You're not really a bitter drinker, are you? Not a bitter drinker. A happy no. drinker. Not a Londoner either. <laughs> true, so true. yes, but bitter is much more of a Northern English drink anyway. I've always thought. Maybe. Yeah, I always think that. Well, fellow governors, you may have watched this episode already, because just after we recorded episode one of the Pennyworth podcast, Epics decided to release the other two episodes, episode one, two, and three, on their app, available for you to watch. So if you haven't logged into the app or logged into Amazon Prime, you can actually get all three of the first episodes. Uh, We will not be covering them that way. We'll be covering them one episode a week, each week, uh, with the episodes coming out just after they air on Epics on the channel. So hopefully you're enjoying them, but we won't be spoiling anything about episode three it's a good one as well but episode two is what we're here to talk about uh, you can always send in your thoughts about any of the episodes to us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com but make sure you subscribe to us at tvpodcastindustries.com and go over there we have loads of subscribe links to the podcast but if you want to just hear our thoughts on the pennyworth podcast we have that available on its own pennyworth podcast available on spotify and apple podcasts and any other straight laced or groovy podcast catchers out there Yes, say Pennyworth Podcast about 20 times faster and faster and faster. I love it. I'm just sorry that we don't have Pennyworth Podcast Pilot like we did last week. This is the <laughs> second episode. One interesting thing about the names of these episodes, each episode from now on is named after a lady. So this episode is the landlord's daughter. We're going to have episodes named after famous figures throughout the 60s. Characters like Scylla Black, like Lady Penelope from Thunderbirds. Ooh, yeah. Like um, Marianne Faithful is coming up. So every episode cool. of the season after this one is all named after a lady. Unless there's a lady called pilot that i'm not aware of i don't think so i don't think so don't um, but think so. there are lady pilots there are absolutely, absolutely i don't know i mean i wonder how many uh sort of people listening to the podcast obviously outside of 
the UK and Ireland know Scylla Black because obviously she was a, a big Liverpool singer mm-hmm. in her day, uh, knew the Beatles and all that, but then obviously latterly went on to do a lot of TV uh, presenting and host Noah Lara Lara TV. Lara Lara, it's Sillaria. <laughs> Welcome back. Sorry to our uh, American listeners who will have absolutely no idea that's about. But anyway, yes, loads of interesting characters from the UK history really coming up in the show. Um, quickly, just to talk about the episode details of this episode, it's directed by Danny Cannon again, who directed the first episode and written by Bruna Heller. Uh, interestingly, both Danny Cannon and Bruna Heller were involved in these exact positions for the first two episodes of Gotham. Uh, Danny Cannon directed episode one and two, and Bruno Heller wrote episode one and two as well. So quite interesting that they're doing the same thing on this uh, in this series. Uh, Danny Cannon takes a step back. Next episode, he's not directing episode three, but Bruno Heller is still writing, which is different from the uh, from Gotham. So uh, let's see what that brings yeah, up. Yeah, good stuff. Mm-hmm. But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. After the arrest of Lord Harwood and Bessie Sykes, Alfred Pennyworth is approached back at the club by a grateful Thomas Wayne, who offers Alfred a job for his nascent security business. However, Alfred turns down the offer from the billionaire businessman because the company keeps almost had him and Esme killed. At the Tower of London, the detained Lord Harwood is tortured and interrogated to find out who leads the Raven Society, but with limited success. Elsewhere in the tower, Bet Sykes has a different kind of interrogation by George, one of her guards, who is tricked into delivering her post. But while she hatches her plan to escape from the tower, her infatuation with Esme continues as one of her letters makes its way to Esme's apartment. Kiss, kiss, kiss. In Whitechapel, Alfred has accepted a new job from the landlord of the Severed Arms pub, whose daughter is being harassed by the creepy and possessive Jason Ripper. As Alfred, Davy Boy and Bazza set to work on Jason, this new assignment puts Alfred firmly in the sights of Jason's uncle, the notorious Ripper of the East End. But the Ripper is persuaded by Alfred to give him the benefit of the doubt by showing that his nephew was a weak link in his crime organisation. Back home, sat around the telly with a nice cuppa, Alfred makes sure that Bet is executed at the tower, but all bets are off as Peggy Sykes comes to free her younger sister from the hangman's noose. And the gutman's noose as well. Absolutely. I mean, it was hanging and gutting. Yeah, we mentioned in the pilot that we've seen a few of the episodes so far, and they they get very violent, and the language is, you know, considerably harsher than in Gotham. This is the episode we were talking about, really. Uh, that moment when you see the first person being hanged, and then, then just getting eviscerated on, st- on stage in front of a live audience and on television seems like a really far jump from the kind of violence that we saw in Gotham. And it's a really weird thing to think of public executions. I mean, who on earth would want to see that? Mm. Um, I know, obviously, executions nowadays, you need a witness or witnesses to make sure that the death has occurred yeah. and that it's all witnessed and so on. But I mean, the idea that you would be tuning in to your Saturday afternoon TV show, uh, sat down with, you know, your hobnobs, your custard creams uh, and a nice cup of tea and <laughs> um, to then watch effectively multiple executions yeah. um yes well i was it's laugh- a little shocking i was laughing now we don't unfortunately get the subtitles for these episodes but i was laughing the sponsorship of it is by firstly the execution company so it's brought to you by the execution company obviously and also brought to you by a tea company if any of our listeners has subtitles for this episode check it out i want to see what the actual tea company is because it's something like yorkshire tea a proper cuppa and <laughs> i want to i want to hear who it is that's sponsoring it so uh, just check it out but the way we cover our episode 
episodes. We normally do our top five points on most of our podcasts. On this one, we kind of had our top five questions because I suppose the history of Alfred Pennyworth is a question as in itself. You know, it's one of these things that nobody knows anything about. So this show is building up this history of the character. So we have a bunch of questions about the episode after watching it. Uh, John, our first question, what's Thomas Wayne recruiting for? What is it that Thomas Wayne is coming to Alfred about, really? <laughs> I literally don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose Thomas Wayne is not really in this episode other than right at the beginning where he meets Alfred uh, to offer him this job. Yeah. But... um Alfred has no idea what the job is, and in fact, his refusal of, of it is not based around the job itself, but it's based around the fact that both himself and Esme almost got killed because of um, trying to protect Thomas Wayne, mm-hmm. and as Alfred says, the company he keeps. So again, it's all still fairly mysterious around Thomas Wayne. Mm-hmm. You know, is he a spy? Um is he simply there on behalf of Wayne Enterprises uh, as uh, a forensic accountant? Mm-hmm. Now, what is his role here um, in uh, London? What is his role back in the US, back in Gotham? You know, is it this uh, Wayne Enterprise forensic accountant because the fraud has been done through the company? Uh, is it some kind of link to the Court of Owls? Again, I, I kind of really wonder whether the Raven Society could link in with the Court of Owls. It Maybe. could be an offshoot um, or the non-American. It could be the London version of that where they have their branch. And, of course, it's linked around the Ravens in the Tower of London, I suppose. Possibly, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the fact that, you know, if they leave, the Tower of London falls. So... That's the old, that's, that's the, old, the old myth around it. Yeah. That so, if the ravens leave the terror on fire. Yeah. And the crown will fall and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think, um, it's difficult to know still, um, what Thomas Wayne is recruiting for. I yeah. suppose for me as well, I think this episode, having Thomas Wayne not really in it that much was a little bit of, um, a little bit of a weakness. I thought, you yeah. know, at the end of the day, um, it seems still to be establishing, Alfred, um, and it needs to establish Thomas and Alfred together. It yeah. really needs to see Thomas, how he gets inserted into Alfred's life, the ups and downs of that, and how Alfred ultimately becomes a trusted advisor, a trusted key element of the Wayne household. You know, yeah. I think despite the title of the show, Pennyworth, it is as much about Thomas Wayne's backstory as it is to do with Pennyworth, because these two, at this moment in time, it's how that they become that partnership that predates Alfred and Batman. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we said on the first episode, Thomas Wayne himself, the actual actor that plays Thomas Wayne, Ben Aldridge, is gold on screen. He's really good having that American presence in this very British show, in this very London show. Works so well. So having the two of them team up together is quite interesting. I can kind of understand, you know, from a writing point of view, keep them apart for a little bit of time. Why would Alfred jump back in together with uh, Thomas Wayne after the two of them almost died in the previous episode? Um, it's interesting that he describes this job that he has for Alfred as being completely above board and lawful uh, and also says it's something in service of his country in service of britain we've heard about the raven society we know they're up against thomas wayne but there is the other society the no name society which is on the opposite side and then potentially we have a third group that we haven't heard anything about at all that thomas possibly works for which we think could be 
American army or American intelli- intelligence, possibly, that he's working yeah. for. And he has this contract for a year. One of the things that makes it really intriguing, though, in this episode about Thomas Wayne is that Detective Inspector Aziz comes and talks to Alfred later on in the episode uh, outside Esme's play and says to him about him getting a proposal from another surreptitious organization and not to trust the nice cover mask that they have. And if he ever gets approached by anybody about this kind of job, he should come and talk to Inspector Aziz. Yeah. So that's kind of referencing that it's Thomas Wayne. Possibly. Yeah, this is really interesting. You know, he says, have you been approached, you know, and... If you do get in contact with, with us at Scotland Yard here. Um, and I, I thought this was really interesting because it does definitely kind of push you to thinking about the offer made by Thomas Wayne earlier in the show. Is it to do with the No Name Society mm. that, you know, the left wing uh, political organization looking for a socialist communist utopia as opposed to the Raven Society? You know, there are these competing political elements here mm-hmm. uh, within this London of Alfred Pennyworth. And so is, uh, inspector, detective inspector Aziz, is he talking about these, uh, organizations and approaching him? Maybe they, um, are, understand, you know, from Alfred's statement that Lord Harwood tried to recruit him before yeah. he was arrested. Um, or is it to do with Thomas Wayne? And maybe it's this idea of infiltration into, um, the UK by the Americans, uh, in order to prevent revolution, uh, assist the government, you know, some kind of espionage. I mean, at the end of the day, it is that idea that even, um, international, uh, relations and, and friendships, you know, they, they still spy on one another to mm-hmm. some degree, whether it's getting data on whatever. So, It'll be interesting to see now how Thomas Wayne is potentially embroiled here and who he's working for. I think this question still is outstanding Absolutely. from this show for sure. Yeah. Um, and certainly I can't wait to see a lot more of Thomas Wayne. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think keeping him and Alfred apart is necessarily how they need to go. I, I think they could hook up and then disband, hook up again, disband yeah. and find out there's a really good working relationship. And then something major makes them have a particular bond. Yeah. You know, maybe they are um incarcerated together and interrogated by the Raven Society. And in the end, it's only through the two of them talking to one another, keeping each other's spirits up that there's this special bond. And I, yeah. I think ultimately that's part of this show is why does Pennyworth, why does Alfred Pennyworth dedicate his entire life to this family uh, in a loyal uh, way? I mean, arguably in a subservient way to their interests, Mm -hmm. you know, because certainly here what we're seeing is a guy who wants to set up his own business. He wants to be entrepreneurial. He wants to go out and set up, um, the, the, the Pennyworth empire through his security business. You know, yeah. he, he wants to establish himself as a doer and a shaker. Mm-hmm. And ultimately we can see, you know, how his father may relate to his, um, disguise or his position as a butler within the Wayne household. But again, I think this will be, um, really important going forwards. Yeah, absolutely. And, and definitely, as I said, this is definitely a failing of the second episode to not have Thomas Wayne involved more, even if he's not the, leader of this episode even if he's not the one that's giving the orders to alfred it feels like they've had a bit of a misstep here by not including him in the episode but there's loads of other stuff to talk about Uh, let's go back to the raven society a little bit because they are talked about quite a bit in here Uh, we see lord harwood getting um 
uh, tortured quite quite yeah. badly in this episode. So our second question is, who's the leader of the Raven Society? The lovely, kindly-looking Miss Phelps uh, is the one that's leading the um, the torture on Lord Harwood. I kind of like this character just because you see her instantly and you think, you know, she's got that... She looks that, like a librarian. She does. She looks like a, like a cook or a librarian, a really yeah. kindly-looking face. lady or something Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. You hear the trolley coming in, carrying uh, carrying biscuits and, and tea, because uh, it's time for a cuppa. And then you see that it's actually Lord Harwood beaten and broken, uh, hanging out of the roof, covered in blood, and she's asking him the question, who is the leader of the society? Which is really interesting. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's electrocution here, he's mm-hmm. obviously been beaten up, he's kind of in that really awful, uh, it's not a stress position, but you know, hanging up by his arms, so mm-hmm. I mean, gradually you know, is he holding himself up? Does his shoulders pop? All this kind of Which, stuff. Yeah. Um, and we kind of really only see him here twice. We also see him with the Prime Minister as well, mm-hmm. sort of saying how you know his capture his arrest is a bit problematic because um you will be seen to be missing from society yes. from the the wider world uh, and you really need to tell us who the leader of the raven society is and it seems like he is keeping pretty stum here about their leader mm. but then the second moment where the prime minister turns up it he's saying that he is the leader of the Raven Society. And I suppose the, the sub-question of this is, well, actually, do we believe him here? Well, I, yeah. Is he telling the truth? Mm. Um, because of the attrition from the interrogation and the torture? Or is this... Um, is this a complete lie because he's much stronger he's able to withstand this uh, these methods and this approach to get uh, the leader's name of, of the Raven Society? I know what you mean. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously the actor Jason Fleming is one of the most famous actors on the show. So you would expect that he's got quite a big role. You know, the way you see those, those shows like CSI and they have the special guest star as a film star and you go, well, that guy's the murderer from the start, you know, with Jason Fleming being in this role, you assume that maybe he is the leader of the Raven Society because that's why he would have signed on for a TV show, especially a TV show on a small network in America. He's a very famous actor and gets a lot of movie roles. So you would expect that, yes, he is the leader. I think that makes sense. One of the things I think in the show that the show is missing especially for a show that's only being broadcast in the US is a little bit of background about what lords do in the UK because people may not be aware of what the situation is in the political environment in the UK where you have a house of parliament and a house of lords and a lord once you become a lord you have the ability to overturn laws and create laws for the country effectively and you're not in an elected position you can stop laws going through because you're in this uh, you're in this house, effectively. So quite a powerful position, position yeah. in the UK. I mean, I wouldn't subscribe totally to that uh, description. I think it's... Well, I'd it, rather it, if you explained that, because that's it, my Yeah, no, it, it is quite complicated. <laughs> and in some respects, it is for uh, a standalone podcast. But ultimately, mm-hmm. the Lords were stripped of their power to block laws. So it's only directly elected members of Parliament that can make laws yes. and write new laws what the lords now have is a role of scrutiny review and ultimately it has to pass three times through the both houses so mm-hmm. they can delay it so they can pass it through straight through uh, after its first reading yeah. in the house of lords or they send it back with proposed amendments now the government of the day can accept them Mm -hmm. or not because ultimately if by the third time it's still this sort of hockey 
back and forth between the two, then the House of Commons has the right to effectively just push it through Absolutely. Uh, without the need for the House of Lords. And this change happened because this is what the Lords did with a lot of early labor and social welfare acts that they actually tried to stop them. Yes, yes. Uh, because obviously it was the poor people um, kind of thing, yeah. you know, if you want to talk about it like that. So personally, it needs to be abolished, quite frankly. Right. Of course, and yes. the interesting part here is that we don't know how it works in this world of DC's no. Pennyworth. You know, we don't know whether the Lords still have that power. What we do know from what the Prime Minister is saying is, this is a very well-known Lord. He has got a seat within the House of Lords, so he can't just be made disappear we see him being sent off to the barbers to be broken which is quite an interesting one i want to check i'm looking forward to seeing the barber yes actually. is this is this a very famous barber of uh, of london yeah i'm wondering is this sweeney todd um of the famous kind of musical and uh myth <laughs> that you know he was a barber mm-hmm. um and would cut not only the hair uh, off uh, people's heads uh, or shave them, yep. but he would also cut their heads off yes. and put them in the basement and make meat pies out of them. And I can yeah. see that um, that could work here. I, I think there's a sensibility in Pen- Pennyworth that is the macabre. Yeah. It, you know, and I think this is something that could work quite well. So whilst they can't execute the Lord, they can probably um, mince him up and put him into a nice pie. Maybe, but he is, he is told to keep him alive, so we know he's not going to be killed by the barber. I'm just wondering if this might be a descendant of Sweeney Todd's, possibly, who's more into a bit of torture rather than a bit of butchery, uh, possibly. Yeah, and but- maybe ultimately is a long-distant cousin of the Todd family in the US, who ultimately uh, becomes Nightwing. Something like that, Robin, <laughs> Jason, yes, Jason Todd. Uh, interesting, yeah, but there's one other point on this one before we get on to probably the other descendants of some very famous residents of London as well. Um, one of the points, just that conversation with Detective Inspector Aziz and Pennyworth, it's quite interesting when he talks to Alfie about Lord Harwood and wonders what Alfie, would, what Alfie's perception of it is, and Alfred tells him that he knows this guy is well-connected, he knows Lord Harwood is well-connected because people don't ask him the real questions, they ask him very soft questions, they low-ball questions to this guy because possibly he has a lot of people inside the police force they have a lot of people inside the sections of government that are dealing with them and we know that from last episode because all it took was just one showing of that raven symbol to the police officer and they all got out and cleared out of the building so we know this guy is very well connected but i like that heart that um aziz is having that conversation with alfred about what his opinion is about this whole situation we don't know that we can trust inspector aziz either yet we've only seen him for a couple of minutes each episode but it is interesting that we're seeing the relationship starting to build between the two of them as well yeah absolutely yeah i think on to question three what is alfie's first paying job Hmm. it involves the severed arms pub and it involves the landlord's daughter yes the title of this episode yes sandra is being harassed uh, by a very kind of creepy uh, misogynistic possessive uh, massively possessive um jason ripper who is um a a nephew of a mr john ripper Mm -hmm. uh, which is this huge kind of gang sort of coming out of a, uh, a mortuary, I think, um, in Whitechapel yes. in and around um, the East End. He's kind of a mythical figure. They talk about him yeah. as, as the man from Whitechapel. They don't say his name in, in proper company kind of thing. And of course, this is very much around Jack the Ripper. Absolutely. Of course. So I quite like the fact that he is, you know, Jay Ripper, even though his name is John rather than Jack. Yeah. Uh, 
But and Jason as well, yeah. And you have Jason, absolutely. So yeah. I, I, I think um, what we see here is Alfie uh, using this situation where you know Sandra's been asked to pull a pint of best bitter by by Jason. It's all very creepy. He's oh, kind of absolutely. like just staring at her. He's wanting to know why she's not smiling. Smile for me, yeah. Sandra. All this kind, kind of, of thing. Pull the pint slowly so I can watch the yeah. whole conversation with him, with her, where she's going. Has someone made you sad? Uh, if anybody makes you sad, I'd go mental. If someone hurt you. I would cut him open. This all this stuff from Jason, where she's just terrified on the other side of the counter, opposite him. It's really tough, <laughs> you know. He's yeah, really exactly. Evil guy. Even asking that Sandra is the one to pull the pint mm-hmm. rather than her dad and landlord of the severed arm. So you know, this is really uh, Alfred's kind of first paying job, and he's persuaded really by by Davy Boy to to take it. And I think the the good thing here is Alfred utilizes it. Um, it's sort of twofold, really. A, it's his first paying job, so he gets paid by by the the, the pub owner. But because of the nature of the client's um, security and who they need to be protected from being the Rippers, it is also a way, because Alfred is absolutely aware of the Ripper family, their reputation precedes them, that this is a chance for him to really kind of set the boards alight with this high-profile um, job uh and paying job. Yeah. And I, I think that's quite nice here uh, that he, he's kind of using this um, first job uh, twofold. One, to promote the business further and also because it's the first job on the books. Absolutely. Anybody getting a little flavor of Peaky Blinders when we saw this episode? I know it's not based in Birmingham, it's based in London, but this, it's definitely, this yeah. idea of this gang family who want to take everything they can get in the city, uh, it just really feels like something from Peaky Blinders in this slightly alternate universe as well. Uh, I do like that Davy Boy uses the SAS motto, the uh, Kyoto Vinicet, which means uh, who dares wins. I hope I've got my Latin pronunciation correct on that one, but I love that that's what Davy Boy uses to push Alfred and take the job you know it is this point where alfred is effectively saying he wants to break up with esme he feels like he's not going to be able to move out of his parents house his business is failing and david boy's looking at him going look i know you don't want to take this really difficult job but if you don't take it your business is done and your life is over you're going to give up on your relationship you're going to give up on everything so just do it just go out there and do it it might seem tough but i believe in you kind of thing which is a nice little moment from david boy and to speak to their relationship a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with that job, it is Davy Boy and Baza then that help him out after <laughs> Alfred confronts Jason at another time where again, he's trying to creep out poor Sandra. Um, and you know, they, they take out Jason's kind of lackeys who's there. And I, I think it's really good how Alfred uh, is really kind of measured and at least outwardly calm yes. in, in his approach to Jason as Bazza and Davy come up behind the rest of the crew, sort of coshing them, knocking them out yeah. uh, and, and capturing Jason and holding him hostage then. Totally agree with you. I absolutely love Jack Bannon's performance in these moments. It really does feel like a young Sean Pertwee. It feels like a young Michael Caine, you know, this proper Alfred that we've seen in the past where he's cheeky. He's definitely standing up for what he believes in and what he knows is right to all of these people who are attacking him. You know, he's not going to back down from a bully like Jason. There's no way. I love the moments in the bar where he's saying to him, I don't care what your mother tells you. That's not the way people should conduct themselves in their life. And then throws a drink in his face to drag him outside with all of his, all of his guys. And then standing surrounded by Jason and five other guys, he goes to him, this is not going to work out well for you. You have an opportunity here to apologize and leave Sandra alone. And get out of here, 
or else it's all over for you, basically. So setting up what is going to happen. As you say, Baz and Davy Boy take the rest of his crew out and then take Jason hostage. And it gets really interesting from this point onwards, I think. Uh, kind of taking us into our question number four. Who are the Rippers? Let's take, let's take a little step back and talk a little bit about who the Rippers are, I suppose, because the episode opens with them and it really feels like something out of Victorian London. We have these costumes with the top hats and cloaks, which is exactly like the image you always get of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. It's the classic silhouette of the dark figure with the cloak, the cane. And the top hat, uh, you know, you have that in From Hell, yep. uh, the, the graphic novel about, uh, the Jack the Ripper cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've seen it in countless, um, sort of reimaginings of that case and yep. the, the murder of the prostitutes in Whitechapel. Absolutely. So and, it, the, and the, um, the Phantom Raspberry Blower on uh, the two Ronnies. <laughs> yeah, as the well. two Ronnies <laughs> did the, uh, the classic comedy. Uh, skit on the Jack the Ripper with the <laughs> Phantom Raspberry Blower of old London town. There you go. Yeah, really good. Um, <laughs> but yes, you know, it, it really harks back to that Victorian era and Jack the Ripper. Mm. And, and we have this, this long-standing crime family, you know, that has the, the mortuary as their kind of base of operations. It, it's interesting because, you know, Jason's uncle, John Ripper, who, who is the leader of, of this group. Um, he, he's obviously dissecting and, and preparing a body for the, the morgue, mm-hmm. uh, for the, uh, funeral. Um, and, you know, he does take out a, a kidney uh, and he wraps it up in some paper and puts it in a box to send to someone. Exactly. And I'm wondering, is that so that they can then eat it? Is that so that they can make steak and kidney pie? Yeah. Um, or is this like a trophy or a memento or a warning to someone that they've taken down? There is a moment when, uh, John Ripper says something about, uh, about this guy that he's cutting up to Alfie. He says something about him not being on the right side of things. And this is what happens effectively. It's, it's used as a bit of a threat to Alfred. And then he takes the kidney out saying, kidneys taste great and you do have that moment where you're thinking is he about to make alfred eat this yeah exactly but it does seem like he's about to put it into a box and send it to the guy's family to show exactly what happens to people that cross the rippers i actually don't know because you don't see his face afterwards i don't know whether this is the same guy from the beginning of the episode that's rounded up by the ripper gang all wearing their cloaks and and top hats Uh, but i love the idea and it's it's interesting you know the the Jack the Ripper story really is that nobody caught the Ripper. He murdered uh, six women, I think it was, in Whitechapel. Um, but nobody ever caught the actual Ripper. So one of the concepts of the Ripper story is that he was a lord, uh, an upper class man, really, who went out and killed uh, prostitutes yeah. in the streets of London. So this is possibly saying that he did live on and survive, had a family and continued the tradition of the Rippers that became a gang in London, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, and I think one of the other theories is that he was um, a physician to the Queen, uh, so Queen Victoria mm-hmm. and Albert. Yeah. Um, there's also a suggestion that it was keeping things quiet you know uh, it's this idea that there was a cover-up uh, of high society you know because of a potential scandal with um albert that he was engaging with prostitutes Prince Albert. Yeah, yeah and um that they were murdered to cover any trace uh, of that involvement mm. now again it's a theory who knows but uh certainly you know this john ripper could be linked into high society yeah. um into lord harwood 
could be part of that Raven Society as well. Mm. Again, is it just a vehicle for the show to to see Alfie get his first job yeah. and gain that foothold? Um, or is there something more to the Ripper family uh, and how big are they? I think as well, it's that high stakes. It's that risk that Alfred has here in taking this um, uh, job in taking Jason hostage mm-hmm. is because um, he could be killed. He could be out of business or this could set his business up uh, by getting the respect of the Ripper family. I like how he twists it in, in this conversation with um John Ripper, where he says, you know, Jason was a weak link. You know, you see this interrogation where he's about to both blubber and blab about his uncle mm-hmm. and, and the crime organization. Um, so I, I love how Alfred kind of tries to protect himself here from taking this job, which is simply to stop Jason harassing Sandra, yeah. but knowing that because of his family connections, he could be out of a job or it sets him up. And I, I, I like this and yeah. I like his um his conversations with John Ripper I think it's really nicely done and I think that interrogation for me by Davy Boy and Baza on Jason for me that's one of the best things of this episode Definitely. it's r- absolutely excellent I love um you know it's that moment in the interrogation where they go what's your name and he says Jason because that's his name yeah and they go no what's your name it's weasel isn't it it is that really creepy element where the truth is actually not what they're looking for. They want you to effectively follow instruction. So your name is now Weasel, not Jason. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this is that to me as well. They say they smell terror. You see them with their toolbox, you know, moving a fork, scratching it around a, a mess <laughs> tin. And it's kind of like that is almost the worst form of interrogation where they know what the truth is and they're asking for something completely different. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that was so nicely done. Absolutely. I love that it's kind of a, an audio interrogation. They're effectively using everything. It's, it's like they're doing a radio play for, yeah. <laughs> for this character of Jason, trying to convert him into someone that will tell them everything about it. But you're right, this, this impetus of Alfred's to use this position of going after Jason as a great opportunity for his business to be allowed to operate within the Ripper's town effectively and not be, uh, not be torn apart by by the Ripper's business, you know, that, that's a great impetus for Alfred. It shows how intelligent and smart he is using these kind of tricks they have. And I love that it, that it's revealed that Alfie and John have been watching on the whole time, waiting for this moment, seeing whether Jason would reveal uh, that he has this information and would give it all up uh, just for the opportunity to live effectively. So you see John going, my own flesh and blood, if yeah. I killed you, my sister would never let me forget it. So you have the opportunity to get out of town. And I wonder they do a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a moment here where J- John stands over Jason and says to him, if you come back to London, I'll cut your face off. And it instantly reminds me of Jerome on Gotham, who did lose his face and have it stapled back on uh, yeah, on the yeah. show. So it instantly reminded me of that. So I'm wondering if that was just a little reference, a little Gotham reference for the episode. Yeah, it was nicely done, wasn't it? Just how he kind of cuts around the the outside, uh, the the edge of his face. He draws the um, line with his yeah, finger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm wondering if it was just a little Gotham reference in there. But I think the the good thing from this is that he is able to persuade uh, John Ripper to to get rid of his 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 nephew somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also that 
um, he's able to keep his um, business going. He he survives his encounter ultimately with the Rippers. Yeah. And I do think that that moment uh, where he's been flipped back into this pit in uh, John Ripper's office. <laughs> um, and you, you have John Ripper kind of talking to himself as well. Yeah. It, it's very um, bipolar, kind of uh, schizophrenic, where he's having this internal conversation uh, with himself um about what he should do you know with alfred and about whether you know is he stupid or clever and you just have um him flip back and alfred go uh the safe money would be on stupid but you've got to back yourself haven't you <laughs> um really so i i really yeah. i really like this uh, yeah. moment Definitely, I really there's there's some fun moments in this episode. That's one of them from Alfred. The other one's one is where he goes back to the landlord to uh, effectively say that everything's been sorted. Jason's gone. Um, you you see his daughter now singing in front of the crowd, Sandra, because she's so happy that she's she's now free of this uh, uh, this abusive guy, Jason. Um, and <laughs> I love the landlord goes to him. Oh, that's that's worth so much to me. Um, that's worth more than money. And Alfred just kind of looks at him and goes, uh, not really. Uh. As in, pay me the money that you're supposed to be yeah, paying exactly. me. Yeah, exactly. Nice really little, nice moment. Nice little moments. Uh, let's get on to our final question for the episode, because it's our big character, you know. It's interesting, we, we talked a little bit in the pilot episode about how the characters are all set up, and the pilot episode was a one and done. It did end with Beth Sykes behind bars and Lord Harwood behind bars, with no real idea that they'd be breaking out in episode two. So it really gave an opportunity to the writers, to Bruno Heller, to tell this story of Alfred and then for a studio to look at it and go, mm, this could become a, a two-hour movie. We could have another hour of Alfred meeting Thomas Wayne or we could turn it into a TV series of 10 episodes, which is what they've done, or we could potentially turn it into a long-running series because there's loads of little strands that you can take. So our final question for this episode is, how did Beth Sykes get out of the tower? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I completely agree with you here. I think Beth Sykes has this ability to be a great antagonist mm -hmm. for um for alfred it could be his joker dare i say it Maybe, you yeah, know yeah. um obviously nothing is ever gonna as such be as iconic as the joker mm -hmm. but to have that touch point of you know the someone who is the constant pain in the neck yeah the shadowy bad person avenger kind of thing mm -hmm. um i think is really good and i think here paloma faith does a great job and it gets really adult here uh, in in this uh, incarceration in the tower. Yeah. You know the relationship between her and her guard George, and ultimately what that comes where she uses sex to get what she wants. Mm -hmm. You know she bribes him effectively uh, by saying, "Well, you're not supposed to have sex with the inmates, but yeah. you are doing so. Post these letters for me." Exactly, and it, it's two letters here. One I prefer uh, much better than the other. I like the fact that we see her sister Peggy uh, with a uh, lacy underwear-wearing um, gimp, I think. Uh, high heels. And in high heels, mask. yeah. Got yeah. the gimp mask on. So Harry um, Chest says to her, I've got the letter from you as he turns around and reveals yeah, it's a man inside the Certainly inside the um, an interesting <laughs> domestic setup there that yeah. Peggy has. And it looks as though this is obviously outside of London and it looks up north. It's got the terrace housing, the stone right. terrace housing, the hills. It looks like the proper kind of mill towns 
of the North uh, and the Pennines, mm-hmm. uh, in the Pennines, you know, uh, where they sort of made use of that that water. So it yeah. certainly is outside of London. Um, and we have that letter. And then we have the letter going to Esme as well that, that freaks her out. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about Esme in this episode because we haven't really talked about her at all. This is the only real point where she properly comes into the episode. We have the stage play that's carryover from the pilot. Um, I was saying to you when we watched it that it felt really weird that it felt like a great line and a great moment in the park with her and Alfred where he, she freaks Alfred out because he's never really seen acting before. He's only ever seen, you know, a, a, a pantomime when he was in the army. Uh, when he was younger, he saw a pantomime and thinks that that's what acting is. So we have that moment in the park of the pilot episode. And then it feels like Bruno Heller came back to the scripts about six months later and went, ooh, we have to do something with that line where she reveals that this is something that she did on stage. It feels completely out of place, really. I love Alfred's reaction to her when he sees the play once, applauds her, goes home, and she says, well, are you coming back tonight to watch the next performance? And he's like, well, they've already seen it, though. Do I have to come back and watch it again? You know, um, there's some fun little moments that she has. You know, she has all of the actors that are on stage where they're coming and proposing to her that the the chemistry between her and the lead actor is so good they should probably date you know you have that moment i love the conversation she has with the older guy with the mustache that comes up to her at the table yeah and she says oh well uh i'm just waiting for my boyfriend and he goes oh well he might what does he do for a living he goes uh because it kills men at night basically <laughs> and so the guy backs off instantly i love those moments uh that she has but the story of esme itself mm, she's a little bit damsel in distress for me. yes it, it is a bit like that uh for me i, I think um I, I like Esme, and at the same time, I'm finding it difficult to uh, get on board with her yeah. because I, I think it's because you have Bet Sykes, who is this, you know, really assured woman, and then as you say, Esme comes across as damsel in distress, yeah. requiring Alfred um, to uh, protect her um, from Bet Sykes, or even just the thought of Bet Sykes. But that letter should have been terrifying. It absolutely Abs- getting getting absolutely. a letter from somebody at your home address, effectively saying, I'm in love with you, we had a moment, and not threatening her, but saying all is forgiven, but effectively saying, I know where you live, is what yeah. that letter's saying. That should have been terrifying, I get it, but it doesn't come across that well on, on this episode. No, and I mean, you know, she should have gone to the police with the letter. It's the fact that she's cowering on her own with a butter knife in, yeah. in the apartment, waiting for Alfred to come home at, at four o'clock, you know, or why is she not gone back to her parents uh place for safety i mean mm-hmm. i think it's just that um there's aspects of it i think it's mainly the damsel in distress coupled with um the downton abbey-ness of her <laughs> of her accent i mean yeah. alfred does say oh you're posh you are but it's 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 really weird because so many things are mixed up here mm-hmm. she is the only one of these actors that feels like she's speaking in a period piece accent yeah. and, and using the the words of you know jolly jolly whiz and ooh golly gosh and yeah. whatever i mean i don't know it's just really particular and you don't have that really i don't think with anyone else in this show or you know and and i i find that a little grating but i do um, think it would have been so. very weird in this 1960s london to have nobody speaking in this received british accent because it was done by everybody anybody that wanted to be an actor anybody that Absolutely. wanted to work in tv had to have a non-regional accent had to have all the edges knocked off and they did reference it in the previous episode. They had that kind of joke from Alfred going, oh, you're an actress. Of course, that's why you have the accent. And she says, no, no, I have the accent because that's who I am. It's not because I'm an actress. But 
I, I know what you mean. It just seems to stand out. It makes, it makes her character stand out in, in the wrong way, I think. For me, just to mention again, personally, this idea of having a damsel in distress as a central character on the show just feels off. It's okay to have Sandra, the landlord's daughter, the, the character that is just there to propel uh, Alfred's career for one episode. It's okay to have her as damsel in distress who has hardly any lines. But if you also have the main character like that, in the episode, it just feels like too That's much. That's it. I, I, I almost want Alfred to take his army skills and get Esme to lock and load in ready for battle mm-hmm. with Betty Sykes. You know, he trains her. He puts Rambo-like machine guns on her back, you know, teaches <laughs> her how a, a bit of uh, martial arts, a bit of uh, boxing yeah. uh, or, or something. That's something to prepare her to uh, for self-defense against Betty Sykes. I think the one thing I find really intriguing with Esme is her link with... Uh, Bet Sykes rather than Alfred. Yeah. I, I, because, you know, it's turned on its head here. In episode one, you see Bet really going against Esme because she, um, is a posh cow, basically. Yeah. And she looks down her nose at her. And in between, she's reversed this. And that letter is all kind of fairly cheery and happy because yeah. she's got this. Um, crush. She's had this moment with Esme. And again, it's, it's a bit like with Sandra and Jason. She is stalking her from prison and knows where she lives. Exactly. And that must be terrifying for Esme. And I, I like this kind of dynamic that started here. Um, and I'll be interested to see where that goes because it, it's this doomed, um, obsessive, romance that bet sykes is getting into mm-hmm. you think of countless horror movies that have done this Absolutely. and you're kind of like going okay i'm really interested to see where this goes and will it just be alfred defending her and defeating bet sykes or will it be alfred absolutely empowering esme to work with him to yeah. protect herself uh you know in the same way of what he does with bruce wayne and i think this is another interesting consistency what will he do here you know and i'm hoping he sets her on a journey to protect herself mm-hmm. with him by her side yeah. to protect her from bet sykes and uh, that's what how i really hope that this plays i out. hope so i hope so yeah as well definitely um just to finish off that point on esme to, before we get back to the final question uh, alfred does come home and asks esme to marry him the reason why this is slightly interesting is because we heard alfred's mother pushing for it early on she says she's teaching esme how to make bread which is something that any good wife would need hint hint son kind of thing and also because we still haven't seen esme's father and that's quite specific because in the old days, still happens now, you would ask the parents of your future partner for their for their daughter's hand in marriage, really. So we've heard Alfred push a little bit to meet her father, and we hear Esme is, is blocking him off because she doesn't really like her dad that much, basically. So, uh, so just some interesting little bits around the character. Hopefully we'll get more of her character in future and not this cowering in a corner, um, scared of the world, basically. So hopefully we'll see a bit more of that, but interesting to see that. Also, obviously interesting because Alfred is traditionally a bachelor. We don't really see any partners that he has very much. We mentioned this last episode as well, so uh, so interesting that that he does have this relationship at all, but does that mean it's doomed in the second ep- in the next episode? Is she gone? Has she gone off to work on the crane for Netflix instead of uh, instead of this TV show after episode four or something? We don't know, but uh, it's intriguing and I like the idea that. 
Beth Sykes has her sights set on Esme. So back to Beth, back to our question. How did Beth get out of the tower? It's the other letter, the letter to her sister that seems to indicate. And what I like about the letter, I suppose, is it doesn't say anything at all. It doesn't say, come get me. It says they're scragging me next week for something I haven't done, <laughs> which is they're going to kill me. They're going to, they're going to create, they're going to execute me next week. Um, and it's all on Beth's sister Peggy to make a plan effectively. And um, we see. Uh, Bet being transferred from uh, the Tower of London. She has a bag put over her head and transferred in the back of a van uh, to the uh, the execution point, effectively. And from that point onwards, she has this bag over her head the whole time. As everybody's led outside, you see one of the guards, also a masked guard, uh, stopping her from going out. She seems quite surprised about it. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't tell much of the reaction because she still has the bag on her head, but you can tell she's kind of surprised that someone has stopped her. And then they do that really interesting thing. They swap out what seems to be one of the guards that brought her to the place, the guards that were pretty rough with Beth Sykes in prison, um, and stick her underneath the mask and in this sackcloth dress, and they cover her mouth so she can't even scream. And if she does, they can't can't make words, I suppose. She yeah. hear her screaming the whole way out, but you'd expect that of a prisoner going to their, uh, to, to their execution. But it is the, you know, it's the distinction between the the guard that has been put under the bag mm-hmm. uh, compared to Bet Sykes were Bet Sykes there, there was none of this wriggling this screaming it was cool calm and measured mm-hmm. maybe because she knew that all it would require is a letter to her sister Peggy maybe uh, but also then coming out with the two of them taking the guard to the gallows yeah. um the former guard under the hood is, you know, absolutely trying to escape, is in terror uh, because she's about to get killed um, for no reason. Yeah, absolutely. And she is. Yeah, she's hung and uh, and effectively it's drawn, right? It's drawn and quartered would be the normal way, but there's only one slice that's done. So it's hung and drawn, I suppose, would be the way you describe this. Can we just quickly talk about that as well? We did talk about it a little bit earlier on, but live TV uh, viewing as well. At home, we see the Pennyworth sitting down with a cup, nice cup of tea, uh, watching as anonymous female prisoner number 54 dies. Yeah, uh, exactly. Supposedly Beth Sykes. Yeah. Um, the family seem okay with it. Alfred seems okay, and his mom and dad are watching on. His mom has a few good words to say. I presume if she was outdoors, she would have just spat on the floor uh, at the thoughts of this Beth Sykes character who was in her home now getting her fine comeuppance. Um, but we do see Esme turning towards Alfred to face away from the TV. Uh, also interested in that live crowd, as you mentioned, who the hell would want to see an execution yeah, live. Exactly. But I like that the whole thing is full of people. And then as the people start getting executed, you see people in the crowd turning around and throwing up effectively and yeah. hiding themselves from what's in front of them. Did they not know what they were going to get? Like, Yeah, it's really weird, isn't, isn't it? it? But yeah. um, I, I do, uh, I think ultimately this is a nice little sort of escape from Bet Sykes. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think the weird thing for me was as, you know, it's revealed that there's Peggy and Bet there um, and she goes, I'm absolutely starving. You know, the, the food in, in prison is not that great. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they get away and they said, don't worry. There's a happy eater for a nice fry up just <laughs> outside of London. And for, uh, happy eaters are a, a peculiar British thing along with little chef, which are kind of mm-hmm. like roadside diners in service stations and, yeah. and service areas for by the motorway. Yeah. And, um, Diner is probably stretching. Dare I say so. <laughs> it? Um, I I think the chefing in, in little chefs and happy eaters 
are as complicated as putting in the number of minutes on the microwave yes. and waiting for the ding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other name for them other than diners is probably greasy spoons. Yeah. Probably be the most accurate. Um, but, but that's it. Probably the freshest thing they're done uh, from scratch is the, the, the breakfast. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it would be the thing if, I needed to eat in one of them, it would be the breakfast that I would get. Exactly. Um, because you know that that has been sort of prepared freshly on the hot plate. Usually because um, hundreds of people come through the doors hour after hour. These guys. <laughs> now, we are talking about 60s Happy Eater or our younger lives version of Happy Eater. I'm sure they've gotten better uh, over the years. Um, I'm uh, sure they have. Just in case yeah. somebody blocks us from going into a Happy Eater next time we're over in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was an interesting thing. I was like, oh my goodness, they're using a Happy Eater? Mm-hmm. What? I mean, that really is a blast from the past. I don't even know if it, they're still around, right. to be honest. Maybe not. Um, I even think Little Chefs are something that's had their day. Really? I mean, I don't know whether they're around. Um, yeah. That's just all been replaced by McDonald's and, uh, and Burger King's and pretty much. Yeah. Fried chicken and um, other restaurants are available, folks. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, kind of cool that she's gotten out of this situation. Yeah, helping her sister, and off they go to Happy Eater for a nice fry up and a cuppa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's it for our questions uh, for the episode. Our top five questions for the episode. Lots of stuff coming up in the next episode, in episode three. Um, one note I just had for the episode, because again, uh, interesting that they're com- the way they combine multiple pieces of history. Obviously, public executions are something from the 1700s. They're not something you would you would have seen any time in the 1800s or 1900s in the UK. Uh, it's not something that that would have been put on television at any point, just in case, because you know some people think that this is a realistic depiction of the 60s. I've seen quite a few interesting comments over on Twitter about uh, people questioning what's going on in this show. Uh, and one other thing as well, this coercion that Beth Sykes does on George the Guard, where she says she has uh, lots of DNA evidence that could be used uh, to identify exactly who he is. Uh, DNA evidence wasn't actually used at all till, until 1983. It's a very, very rare uh, that she would have known about it at all. That's a possibility that she would not have known about. So they have just incorporated that big back in to this story, this DC universe of the 60s, just to make an interesting story point. Yes, post-shunting, I think, yes. Right. I didn't know that was a phrase at all, John. Is that a train spotting circles phrase? No, I, I think it's a saying, <laughs> okay. um, for sure. <laughs> so yes, more so, northern than London, but yeah. Yes. So DNA evidence wasn't used till 1983, so I presume sometime maybe mid-70s it started to become known in scientific circles, but certainly not in 1963 would it have been known by everybody around, especially a prisoner like Beth Sykes. So interesting stuff any other notes anything else we haven't talked about the episode at all john no not from me all right well do you want to tell us what your rating for episode two of pennyworth is yeah i uh i would give this 3.5 egg and crest bussies out of five mm. uh yes post coital uh egg and crest bussies <laughs> uh from betty sykes there um I think there's a lot here that's still kind of building up i think there's an element here where you can see the the pilot was done maybe you know a number of months before that and they're Mm. trying to just sort of keep that consistently moving through um i think there's a lot to like here i really want to see though uh thomas wayne and and alfred pennyworth i really want to see esme become empowered by by alfred and not be um this damsel in distress so there's there's things here that i'm really wanting to see and i think that's why i'm giving it a a conservative mark here um because i I think we really need to see uh pennyworth and, and and thomas wayne uh begin to have that relationship mm-hmm. and it's nice to see pennyworth and esme's relationship as well but i i i think what's really intriguing here is esme's um sort of 
non-consensual relationship with uh, Bat Sykes and how that's treated. I think that could be really important for how Esme as a character evolves and grows within yeah. the show yeah. and, and whether she becomes um, really significant along with Betty Sykes. And there's a lot I like in here. I'm really enjoying Davy Boy and Baza. I love their interrogation of, of Jason mm-hmm. with Alfred. Alfred's confrontation of uh, with John Ripper um, and really laying his business down um, on, on the line you know, to success or failure by taking this job from uh, the landlord uh, of the Severed Arms to protect her daughter and, and to really uh, stop Jason harassing her. I thought really, really nicely done. Uh, I'm intrigued whether... Um, Bet's sister Peggy remains in the show. I think that could be a really nice double act, um, mm-hmm. working together, um, and how Lord Harwood probably escapes from his constraints uh, and how he links back up with Betty Sykes. I don't know whether that will be the case, but I, I'm kind of postulating a, a theory here, um, moving forward. Well, if so, it's truly the leader of the Raven Society, somebody's going to want to back. Exactly. Yeah. I like how it mixes in the, the, the story of Jack the Ripper into this period. Mm. Uh, again, this mixing, uh, mishing and mashing of different genres, different uh, time periods uh, is nicely done here Isn't by uh, these two. And, and you can see that as a connection with Gotham for sure. So yeah, I, I'm really still intrigued with this show. Um, I, I think they've got to step it up a bit. Yeah. Um, in episode three and four uh, around Alfred and around Thomas Wayne and with Esme uh, for sure uh, to, to really get the most out of it. So yeah, I give it three and a half egg and crest bussies out of five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, only thing for me, I think it's interesting on the second episode of the show. It's only two episodes in. There's 10 episodes to go. Uh, I don't know whether there's a writer's room on this show or whether it is Bruno Heller being given the full ability to write all 10 episodes of the show. And one thing that is really important about a writer's room is that there's other people there that get to read what you've written and just give some feedback on it and allow you to develop it a bit. I feel like this episode needed just another pass, just another person to have a look over the script and say, maybe this scene needs a little bit more information. Like right now, two episodes in, two hours into the show, I still actually don't know what the relationship between Baza, Dave Boy and Pennyworth is. Because Pennyworth security... Dave Boy is the one that gets the money from the job that that, uh, that Alfred has done. He gets half of the money. Baza and Dave Boy were the two people that were doing the interrogation on Jason. But do they work? Do they both work for Alfred or not? I don't really know. Are they just helping him out because they used to be in the army together? You know, it, it feels like a really weird thing, but it would take one line of dialogue. It would take yeah, absolutely. an office where they're all set up and the guys are manning the phones for one scene. You know, it's all it takes. But it feels like this could have been sorted in just a quick other past just to say maybe we need to expand on this a little bit you know um so it, it's still intriguing it's still intriguing as a show and it's it's definitely going in the right way i'm interested that bruno heller is writing episode three as well he didn't do that on gotham somebody else came in and it was the worst episode in the entire <laughs> run of gotham uh, i don't want to repeat which episode it was um, but it was the worst episode in the run of gotham i'm hoping episode three of this show which is called martha kane so it will feature hopefully thomas wayne meeting the future Martha Wayne. So uh, we have heard mention of her in the first episode. Uh, His mother talks about her on the phone to Thomas Wayne. So hopefully we'll get to see her. They have some pre-existing relationship, but hopefully we'll get to see her in the next episode. But let's get on to our Royal Mail section. On to feedback for this episode. Before you go, 
Beer, love. Put stamps on them. Put them in a letterbox for me. You know I can't do that. You can. First piece of feedback came in by email from Adam. He says, Hi guys, I'm a fairly new listener. I started on Good Omens and then Jessica Jones Season 3, now Pennyworth and The Boys. I liked Episode 1 of Pennyworth for the most part. My only concern for future episodes is that it seems like it might fall into this both sides-isms that seems to be prevalent right now with a lot of centrists and conservatives. The false equivalence idea that socialists are as bad as fascists or that anti-fascists are as bad as fascists, etc., Despite the fact they have not killed anyone and the vast majority of domestic terrorist acts in the US have come from right-wingers in recent years, I realise I'm getting pretty political, but the show seems like it's going that way and seems like it's a pretty relevant topic for the episode. Hopefully the show doesn't take this stance. Even if it's a fictional universe, it obviously doesn't mean it's not saying something. Oftentimes, people want to dismiss political criticism because it's fiction. As it is fiction, it can't reflect real life or can't be making a political statement, whether intentional or not. Anyway, I hope my worry is nothing and... It doesn't go that route. Enjoy your podcasts. Take care, Adam. Interesting point, Adam. Yeah, I know this this concept that you're talking about where effectively it's all just drops lines in the episode. We're not getting in depth into the political ideals of the Raven Society or the No Name Society. And remember, the conversation you're actually talking about is coming from the Prime Minister. And what the Prime Minister is all about in this show, this drug-taking dude who's got effectively a hooker in his room and he's talking to her while while snorting coke and going, well, on one side, I've got the fascists, and on the other side, I've got the socialists, and all they want to do is take down the government and set up their own government. But remember, that's just the simplistic idea of this prime minister, who just doesn't want his government to come to an end. So I think we'll see much more about the Raven Society in future and see much more about their beliefs and what it is they want to do. It seems like they're on the side of the Queen, even though the Queen doesn't doesn't know they exist, as uh, as we found out in the pilot episode. But I'm sure we're going to get into much more discussions about it. Um, it seems, as I say, much more of the prime minister's idea as opposed to the show's idea that they're equally bad, effectively. Yeah, and I, I think as well, um, the show will probably delve into those different societies to the extent that it needs to, mm-hmm. to further, uh, Alfred uh, Pennyworth. And I, I think certainly I, I get you, you know, just because it's fiction doesn't mean to say that there's not a political, um, statement yeah. there. And I, I think certainly this idea of, you know, these threats against maybe, consensus politics could be arguably viewed in in, in this as to what's happening uh, to political discourse mm-hmm. you know uh, these days you know remember this seems to be coming from the early 1900s you know around uh 1920s uh, the 1930s where you had these huge movements of you know right wing and, and left wing politics mm. vying for um supremacy in europe you had things uh nation building you know much bigger changes in sort of the the country's uh borders on on the map you know which ultimately led in europe to first and second world wars Mm -hmm. um and that the wars between nation states and, and different political factions and then ultimately to the cold war with that standoff between communism and capitalism uh, in in the western world communism uh, in in um in russia and other areas you know south america and cuba and china yeah. and, and vietnam and so on so it yeah i think uh, it seems to be just that's the backdrop for um 
the the world in which Thomas Wayne and Alfred are, are operating in. Yeah, and as I say, it is the idea of this prime minister that either side are just as bad at each other because they want his power effectively. And I don't want this prime minister either. This prime minister seems like a pretty uh, a pretty abusive guy who's loving the power of his of his political office as well. So nobody good here uh, other than yeah, Alfred. Absolutely. <laughs> really. uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Adam. Uh, yeah, thanks for, for listening that. to the podcast as well. Yeah, remember everyone, uh, just like Adam, uh, you can also check out Good Omens if you are into Terry Pratchett and uh, Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Uh, their classic book, again, it was on Amazon Prime. And of course, Jessica Jones uh, and the Marvel Netflix shows uh, as well. Yeah. So please uh, listen if you want to listen to a good discussion about all things Marvel Netflix and all things Good Omens. Yes. And the boys, which are also covering weekly uh, yes. new episodes out every Wednesday on that one. Uh, we have another email uh, as well. Yes. Teresa says, holy public hanging and disembowelment, Batman. <laughs> uh, the writers aren't messing around going back to the 13th century for public execution and shown on TV. I wasn't expecting that, uh, but it's great writing. I had a feeling when they were taking the prisoners to be hung, leaving Bet uh, behind, meant that she would escape. She is a great manipulator. She knew just what to say to have her sister break her out. I felt so bad for whoever was hung in her place. You could feel the desperation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you really could sense um, the need for her to um, get out of that situation as mm-hmm. she was dragged to the gallows. Yeah, I said 17th century for public hangings. Obviously, <laughs> completely overestimating it. Sorry, uh, 13th century would be much more likely, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I still think they had uh, hanging in the 17th century really? as well. I think, uh, yeah, executions and capital punishment um, supported by the state only really went after the sort of the Second World War in Britain. Like, or even between the interwar period, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the public execution certainly went much sooner than that. It was all behind the gate towers of the prisons and all this kind of thing. But certainly, and and I think it was just, it was being used less and less and less Mm because it was no deterrent. True. Um, So, and then it was outlawed, um, state uh, backed execution. Mm, Interesting. Teresa continues with, Alfred is clever and brave going to see Ripper face to face and using his cowardly nephew to reason with Jack. Jack the Ripper? I think it's John the Ripper in here, but yeah. certainly based on Jack the Ripper, the, um, the murderer of Whitechapel. Um, I love that. Um, Alfie also helps Sandra, who seems to have a crush on him. Uh, we see it when they first meet her. It could make things complicated for Alfie and Esme. Maybe, although I think uh, he's trying to sort of... I don't know whether it's reciprocal, shall we say that, no, but no, no. from Alfie to Sandra. Yeah, I, I wonder if it was just more of a bit of a relief that somebody else was talking to her, kind of distracting Jason, so she didn't have to just be dealing with him directly, because, wow, that, that guy is so terrifying just in the way he speaks to her. And he's surrounded by his gang. If you noticed, they're keeping everybody away from going to the bar while he's standing at the bar getting yeah. his beer poolered really slowly by Sandra <laughs> and it's only when Alfie stands up from the other side of the bar that she gets that moment of relief going oh thankfully somebody else is coming over again. absolutely <laughs> uh, Teresa also says I wonder if the inspector Aziz is working for one of the Raven Society mm. uh, I got the feeling he was looking for Thomas Wayne as well mm-hmm. this was a terrific episode I'm in love with the photography and sets and all of the touches of different decades here and there have a wonderful week Teresa thank you so much Teresa yeah absolutely i i think the the set design and the production and mm-hmm. the lighting is amazing here and and that um 
melting pot of all these different decades and just makes for a wonderfully chaotic uh, and crazy uh, look at life um, of Thomas Wayne and, and Alfred Pennyworth. Yeah. Yes, public executions coupled with TV and DNA evidence from mm-hmm. the 1980s. <laughs> exactly. uh, really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. What side is this inspector on? Is he on the side of the Raven Society or is he just simply an inspector and he's trying to, uh, in his own way, investigate and make sense of everything that's going on? Mm-hmm. I like the idea, though, that he is uh, and he's looking for Thomas Wayne through um, his front as an inspector in the police force. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I, I find it interesting if he wasn't working for the Raven Society and was working for the No Name Society, maybe. That would be quite interesting if, if that's uh, why he was looking yeah. for Thomas as well. You know, If Thomas was the central figure in this fight, I suppose. Um, one of the interesting things, thanks very much for your email, Teresa, by the way. Uh, one of the interesting things that Bruno Heller did say when he was uh, doing some some press for the show, uh, which I find interesting, is because of his age, he actually grew up in the 60s in, in, in and around London. So a lot of what's seen on the, on the show Pennyworth was what was right outside his door uh, when he was growing up. Yeah. And a lot of the other stuff, the things that have been added into the show is because he's grown up since the 60s in London and seen the UK develop the way it has. So a lot of the things he's put in there is from all of his experience over his history yeah. crushed into kind of his his childhood mind effectively which i like i think that's really cool uh, our final piece of feedback comes in from facebook from roger sprong he says after watching the preview i knew this was going to be something very different than gotham or anything else batman related i really like that the tone is set by the show intro beth sykes looks like she would be a great villain i'm looking forward to seeing more and more of alfred's backstory in the military as well i hope the ratings are good because so far i think this show deserves a nice long run I think six seasons in a movie would be about right, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it deserves a good run as well because yeah. uh stylistically, tonally, I think it's really, really good. Um and I, I think it's just seeing how the story arcs progress really. Yeah. Um it's it's certainly trying to develop something over the series rather than it being an episodic um show as well. Yeah. Um so that is it you know, that takes time to to for it to come through and and so i'm really looking forward to the next couple of of episodes as well now that we've had those kind of foundations laid here yeah um and certainly yes this is something very different from gotham i think in terms of language in terms of some of the sexual themes mm-hmm. and i think the violence is 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 up there with gotham and maybe a little bit more explicit actually i think a little um, bit more so it's yeah. certainly more adult i yeah. would say definitely yeah that's what you can do i suppose with the streaming channel as well they're not under the same kind of restrictions i suppose as, as some of the other shows this is on at 9 p.m on sunday evening so a little later than gotham as well they used to be on at 8 p.m uh, on, fr- on friday nights and thursday nights and monday nights um, all those different nights of the week i think was it on friday nights no it wasn't it was only on thursdays and mondays um but yes it is a different tone it's it, i'm glad you're liking it roger uh, i'm really hoping that of course because it's on a much smaller channel in the same way that cw gets those uh, gets really small ratings for their shows but they still last for what 13 seasons or 14 seasons yeah. for supernatural or eight or nine seasons for flash and, and arrow and all that kind of stuff i'm hoping that because of epics being such a small station and such a new channel really that it won't need the massive ratings that would have been needed for fox to keep the show on longer they did keep it for five seasons and a hundred episodes that's a long time for any tv show um i think 
Alfred Pennyworth or Pennyworth as a show would be really lucky if it got five seasons of their show as well. But um, I'm hoping it seems to be getting quite a good bit of buzz out there at the moment. Uh, they did release the first three episodes and it's all streaming. So we're not going to see any kind of ratings for the show, unfortunately. All we can judge it by is how much people are talking about it. And yeah. you can't get people talking about a show if you put them all out in streaming because it only it, it's shown and disappears very quickly yeah. so um so we'll see how it goes week to week for the next uh next 10 weeks yeah uh, absolutely thank mm-hmm. you roger uh, yeah. for the feedback really good to to hear that you are moving on to pennyworth now that gotham uh has has finished as exactly. well so yeah really good to hear from you yeah Thanks so much for sending in all the feedback to us. You can join us over on our Facebook group. We have got still kept open our Facebook group. So facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV podcast. You can find it over there if you want to come and join us uh, for these episodes of Pennyworth. You can also join us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash TV podcast industries, where we're talking about things like the boys and Pennyworth, both of those shows that we're covering. But make sure you subscribe to the podcast as well. Yes, just search TV Podcast Industries on any good or evil podcast catcher or your favorite podcast catcher. It could be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Player FM or Google Podcasts as well. Yeah, yeah. any uh, any straight-laced or groovy podcast yes, catcher. Sorry, I keep forgetting that one. <laughs> straight-laced or groovy baby podcasts. Exactly. Yeah. Remember, sharing the love is to share the podcast. Exactly, exactly. And we'll be back next week, next Monday, with our review of the next episode of Pennyworth. Pennyworth, episode three, as another famous Gotham resident arrives in the form of Martha Kane. Yes. If you haven't seen that episode, you can watch it now on the Epic HD app or on Amazon Prime in the US. Uh, we'll be watching it uh, next week uh, as it comes out on on the show and we'll have our episode out just after that thanks very much for joining us we'll talk to you again next time yeah thank you so much it's a pleasure speaking with you yeah i'm off to watch some public executions on uh sunday afternoon tv i'm Mm. gonna have a bit of egg and cress butties and a few bickies as well make sure you have a nice cuppa and a nice cuppa as well and maybe a pint of best (laughs) uh after that dreadful sounding mixture of foods uh we'll be back to speak with you again who says british people don't know cuisine Exactly. (laughs) Eccles cakes. Yum, yum, yum. (laughs) Or should I say, kiss, kiss, kiss. Bye.